it just feels weird. <laughs> the face-to-face -face interaction went, I would say, weird. But I just thought it was, I was weird that that was how we were doing it. It just feels a little strange to me. College classes are back in session around the country. Or at least something like college classes. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter here at EdSurge. This is episode two of our semester-long series called Pandemic Campus Diaries. We've asked students and professors at six colleges around the country to share their experiences and reflections as they try to keep their studies on track during COVID-19. If you haven't heard the first episode in the series yet, you might want to go do that first. Uh, you can find it on the EdSurge podcast feed. On last installment, we heard about all the intense preparation and some last-minute pivots as students and professors got ready to go back to college. Today, we focus on how the first week of classes went, and you'll hear what made things so strange. Actually, I noticed that there's another word that many of our diarists used when they talked about their first day of class. This semester is going to be interesting. That's Marjorie Blen. She's a student who just transferred to San Francisco State University from a local community college. San Francisco State decided to hold all classes online this term. So Marjorie is at home with her two young kids. And going to class means logging into Zoom from her couch. One of her major frustrations has been how isolating it can feel. First of all, I don't know why my teachers act like it's a problem for me to ask questions over and over again. I never been to a four-year school. I don't know how this works, and it's even harder doing this during COVID-19 and fires happening. Please be patient with me. My kids were not letting me, like, focus. My eight-year-old kept asking, well, do you want to watch a movie with me? Well, do you want to do this with me? And I'm like, I'm trying to watch this, Mattel. Can you please give me five minutes to myself? Then my teacher seems very annoying. I have to apologize because I don't want to get a bad grade starting the semester in, like, a bad moment. Marjorie is the first in her family to go to college. Her road through higher education has been rocky and sometimes frustrating. But she got her two-year degree, and she believes so strongly in education that she's been volunteering at the nonprofit Students Making a Change, helping get emergency aid to needy students to help them keep up their studies amid the pandemic. She has been urging others who are thinking of stopping out of college to stick with it, to hang in there. But she has found hanging in there to be surprisingly challenging when she feels so alone in the online classroom. My first week was difficult. I was trying to figure out everything. I think that this semester is going to be just trying to figure out everything, all the expectation they have for you and the assignments and the time and creating a routine. And But honestly, it's doing it all on my own and not being in school setting and not being surrounded by friends and, you know, just having that environment that, centers you and grounding you it's really hard to do when you're at home um you know getting interrupted like 50 million times it was one of one of those weeks where i wonder like am i gonna make it am i making a mistake by not doing a defer action like most deferring my admission like most students did this semester the hardest part hasn't been the tech or the coursework but simply the lack of people she can talk to in the flesh I don't know, nothing compares to that experience of being physically and surrounded and feeling supported and going into the library and, you know, just 
It's just such a different vibe. Last semester, I was getting ready to walk in a classroom and figure out campus. Now I'm just trying to figure out Zoom and seeing what happened. Luz Elena Anaya Chong is also in online classes this term. She's at Texas State. And as we learned last episode, even though her university is pushing to have classes in person and campuses open, all of Elena's classes ended up online. So she's back at home in Southern Texas. To be completely honest, it was very different to any other first day of classes. And I mean, it was just all online. And in a way, it was easy, but difficult at the same time because I was sitting in my living room when I was doing my, uh, well, I was in class and I just uh, was hearing like the background noise that was like the TV that my uh, siblings were watching. Um, One of the things that like I thought it was funny is like the first thing that every professor asks as soon as they get connected is like, can you hear me? Um, And like, I feel like that's just a regular thing. Like, are are you guys able to hear me? Because a lot of um, students do not turn on their cameras. So uh, I feel like that's very difficult for the professors to like uh, see who the students are and if they are like being present in class. So that's what the first thing that he asked. And then the second thing was, how are you guys doing with the pandemic? And I feel like that's just gonna be gonna be our new reality. Like, are you all okay? How is everything going uh, for you uh, through the pandemic? I think it's the professor's first time giving a full online class. But at the same time, he wants this class to be interactive and to resemble what it will actually look like in a classroom. So he's hosting Zoom meetings at the time that where we were supposed to be in class. And uh, he's going to be writing uh, down with like a, a pen so it can give us like the feeling that we're looking at a whiteboard in the classroom. Her professor seems to be replicating what he'd be doing in person. But there's just no way that feels the same to Elena. So far, class is Zoom meetings. That's what all of her classes use. And things just don't work the way the lecture hall did, even if the professor is holding the same whiteboard marker. I had a Zoom meeting of 300 people, and not like the 300 students were trying to talk, but at least like 10 or 20 were trying to um, uh participate in the class and it was just a big mess the professor could not control them and they were all talking at the same time and that uh, caused my internet to collapse for a couple of minutes so that's our one of the flaws of um, zoom meetings Uh, although you do get a little bit more interaction with the professor and the students somehow hearing the students talk about these classes made me think of a concept from computer simulation or robotics called the uncanny valley. It's this idea that if something computerized seems very nearly lifelike, like hyper-realistic, it actually can trigger an emotional reaction in the viewer that's almost a sense of creepiness or strangeness. It doesn't happen if the computer simulation is, is clearly a cartoon or obviously not real. It's only when it gets closer to resembling something human. I kind of think one of the things that's so strange for these students about what they're taking is that they have all the elements of a traditional class. They meet at a set time, they have a professor and a bunch of students, but they just don't feel the same. And that's strange. Students want something familiar and teachers are trying to provide that familiar thing. But the frustrations are magnified because we know so well what that familiar experience should be. And this isn't it. But what about life back on campus during the pandemic? 
let's turn to Purdue University, which has been one of the biggest proponents of getting back to in-person classes. That's their marching band rehearsing on campus just last week. It's a school known for its science and engineering programs, and officials there have long bragged about having more astronaut alumni than any other college. If this place can pull off literal moonshots, then they figure they can safely run classes during the virus outbreak, right? Well, that's been their argument, that Purdue students and professors are special somehow, and they can follow health guidelines and keep coming to lecture halls. Over the summer, the university installed five miles of plexiglass barriers in classrooms and other spaces on campus. And it bought a million face masks. And it touted the Protect Purdue pledge that everyone had to agree to. Today was my first um, day of in-person instruction. And it was really, I I wasn't sure what to expect. That's Deb Nichols an associate professor at Purdue, focused on human development and family studies. One of the first things she noticed is that it's a lot more difficult to connect with students, even in person, in the age of COVID. As students introduce themselves, we I introduce myself and then they introduce themselves. And it's I like to make some kind of connection to whatever, something in what I ask them to talk about. Um, to facilitate me remembering who they are. And, you know, one thought that went through my head is, I can really only see their eyes and their hair. Um, So how am I going to be able to remember everyone, you know, when I'm so much better reading faces than remembering names? So that certainly felt a lot different. And then having to project through the mask and also having to do that in the sort of context of my own anxieties about being around a lot of young people and, you know, worrying that I could contract COVID. (coughs) Um, I don't know about you, but I tensed up when I heard that cough. I mean, she's just clearing her throat, but she went over the course and how she designed it so students could either be there in person or remote or switch back and forth. But as much time as she'd spent designing this course for both in-person and online delivery, the thing that struck her the most was the effort she put into sanitizing herself and her classroom. You know, I wore two masks. I doused myself in hand sanitizer after class was over. I wiped down my keyboard and my monitor and the um, pretty much everything that I would stand around. It's interesting, I didn't put the plexiglass in front of me, but I felt like I was well over six feet away from any student. Although the students who had previously taken courses with me, um, some of them came up to talk to me after class and I was like, oh, you know, trying to back away a little bit just to keep some distance. Although these students are great and I love them and it was wonderful to have that connection again because it's been so long since you've really had any kind of social interaction. Um, Some bit of normalcy, but also surrounded by this sort of surreal world of concern about the virus and what it can do and how it can impact things. So what is this COVID-shielded campus like for students? Joseph Ching is a junior, majoring in industrial engineering, and he's in the Purdue Systems Thinking Club and writes for the student newspaper. He grew up in Minnesota, and one of the traits that his friends know him for is that he's always smiling, even in situations where that might not seem like the most appropriate response. He says he always tries to be a positive influence. 
he was excited for classes to resume in person. I just got out of my first academic class uh, that was in person. Um, and it was a little bit of a surprise. I was expecting that I would see the professor have a little bit of interaction. Um, but I walked in and it was just a TA and they were just uh, broadcasting the Zoom call. So essentially, we were just watching a Zoom lecture in a lecture hall and um, all of the interaction was done online and none of us that were in the classroom, there's only about 15 of us, um, got to really interact because we weren't logged in to Zoom. So actually, it turned out that it was less interactive. Uh, we didn't get to do like the breakout rooms or uh, really ask questions to the professor. So I'm thinking that I'm definitely not going to go to in-person lectures. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all. Um, and I don't think many people will in the future. Over the next few days, Joseph talked to a number of his classmates about their experiences with these so-called in-person classes. I asked uh, a number of my friends if they were to turn the clock back and were able to change their decision of whether to come back to campus. Uh, three out of, out of four of them said that they would change the decision. So that was pretty eye-opening for me. Another thing um, that I talked to one of my friends about is uh, one of his reasons that he would have changed his decision is that he came to campus because uh, he thought he had to. He was part of a play and he thought that they were going to maybe stream the play, but they were going to act it out in person. What ended up happening is the play was is going to be live streamed through like Zoom. So... Uh, he actually didn't even have to be on campus. And so there are a number of things that maybe weren't communicated to students, uh, possibly because they just didn't know what they would do at that time. And so I don't think students had the all the information to make a decision on whether to come back or not. And now we're back and it's just how it is. We just have to uh, make the most of it. I wondered how widespread the situation was of students having activities and classes suddenly shift to virtual, even though they've taken all this trouble and potential health risk to come back to campus. So I got an interview with Jenna Rickus, Purdue's interim vice provost for teaching and learning. And I asked her what percentage of classes on campus are happening in person this semester and what percentage are actually online. And our goal starting out um, was uh, really having a majority of our courses have face-to-face -face components. So we wanted a strong majority, uh, recognizing a lot of it was going to be hybrid and high flex, just because of all the constraints of social distancing in class, the physical space time people calculation meant that we had to kind of end up really totally redoing the course schedule. 
um, we, and then also the, the, your instructional resources, because we also launched a fully online option for students who could not come to campus at all. But it seems like there have been surprise online where they felt like there was almost a bait and switch where come back, come back, it's going to be in person. And then you get back and more of it is online than you thought. So it's a communication issue, isn't it? Yeah. Commute and communicate. Yes, it is a communication issue. And, and we, we absolutely tried to communicate what, in fact, we had several um, town halls and big zooms to say, particularly when it was time for students to make a choice. We tried to be really clear about this is what residential is going to be like. It's going to, yes, we're bringing you back. You're going to be here, but it's going to be different. You know, we tried to convey dining is going to be different. How you live is going to be different. Your courses are going to be different. You know, we tried to explain what hybrid was going to be, um, you know, uh, and I've been talking, but there was so much in, and, and in that, so that, that we wanted them to be able to make an informed choice. Do I go fully online? Do I come to residential or do I not come? Right. And, and that was something we tried really, really hard to do and lay that out. Communication, right? People are so overwhelmed with communication is a real challenge. She said lots of classes are going well, that there's lots of innovation. And I'm sure that's true. It's a big place. And, and some professors have taught online before. During our interview, I played the vice provost that clip from Joseph's diary where he described his surprise walking into an in-person class only to find a Zoom call projected in the front of the room. Here's what I suspect. I suspect that the um, instructor is potentially high risk and is not supposed to be on campus and around students. And so the instructor was likely, one scenario um, is to remote in an instructor to an in-person class. And this is a totally new, this is not something we normally do, right? So this is an experiment. And in this case, the student gave very astute and um, excellent feedback. You know, there's gonna be a lot of iteration on how to do this well. What about on other campuses that have gone back in person? Josh Friesen is starting his freshman year at Syracuse University. And while he seems to have no real complaints, he describes it as feeling somehow not what he expected. You know, in the in-person classes, everybody's wearing their masks, following the rules. The teachers are only allowed in like a specific spot. So they're not allowed out of like a certain space in the classroom, which is very interesting. Not allowed to hand out papers, any of that stuff. Which, very surprising to me. I thought that at least, like, we'd be able to hand out papers and do worksheets in class and all that, but we can't. So, yeah. First week went really well, I'd say, though. My calculus teacher I really like a lot, and he seems really cool. I met with him during his office hours, because why not? And he was asking me for feedback, getting to know me, stuff like that. Which really spoke to me about how he is as a teacher. So I'm really excited about that. So, yeah, it was... Not, it didn't really feel like my first day of college, like how I thought it would. So, yeah, there was nothing like big. At the end of the day, I was just like, okay, well, it was just another day. And I don't, I don't know when it'll hit me that college classes have really started for me. 
So I first met Josh just a few weeks ago uh, on a Zoom call while he was doing his two-week quarantine that, that many students there were doing before classes started. And I have to say the room looked like a dorm room I had back in college more than 25 years ago. You know, classic bunk bed, generic wooden desk. And Josh was so excited about finding a place for all his things, like where to put his Frisbees for Ultimate Frisbee. And I got the sense of how much he was craving the typical college experience. I asked him to talk more about that in a diary he filed later in the week. I thought that college would just be constantly going to different classes, you know, that in-person stuff, the huge lecture halls, stuff like that, especially because I went to pretty small high school, only 400 kids graduating class of less than 100. So, I like, it still really hasn't hit me because I'm just in my room or in a room with, like, not even 30 other people for all of my classes. It, it just really doesn't feel like college yet. I guess I'm really waiting for it to hit me that I'm, like, in college and taking college courses, and it, it just really hasn't, and I don't know when it will. Across the country in California, Natalie Ricciardi started her fall semester at Chapman University, which is holding all online classes. Ricciardi echoed this sense of still waiting for college to feel like college. On Monday, I had my first day of my junior year of college. And let me tell you, it was nothing like the last two first days in college that I've had. I mean, it really still feels like summer break to me. It doesn't feel like I've entered into my junior year. It doesn't feel like I'm taking 14 credits. It really just feels like summer break still, but now I'm living back on campus and doing an internship. I think part of that is because some of my classes have chosen not to be synchronous with the original schedule. For example, my sociology class will not actually meet three times a week as it was posted in the schedule to begin with. Um, and I think that's a little bit hard for me because being online, I already feel like we're not really in school. But the structure of meeting three times a week or twice a week actually helps because it makes you just feel like there's some sort of normality. But when that's taken away, then it kind of just feels a little bit chaotic. So I'm hoping that we have more synchronicity with that sociology class. I know that eventually I will start to feel like I'm in the swing of things with school and my internship, but for now, it really just feels weird. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just hoping we go back to in-person instruction soon. Oh, I wish the next episode of this could just be about how there's a vaccine and we could all get back to our pre-COVID lives. In the meantime, there is a way out of this uncanny valley. Not everyone we're hearing from is having this disorienting experience. In fact, some professors are finding ways to increase their sense of connection, even with online teaching. That's happening even when the professor is working from thousands of miles from his campus. David Pena Guzman, an assistant professor of humanities and liberal studies at San Francisco State, is teaching remotely this semester from a tiny apartment in Paris, as he described in our first episode which, because of time zone differences, means his first class happened at an odd hour. It's 3.45 a.m., and I just finished my first graduate seminar of the semester. Class began at 12.30 a.m., and it ended at 3.40 a.m. Um, my class was 
really fun and really exciting. My students were very animated. And I have to say that it it almost feels thrilling. I genuinely feel like I just had a wild night in which I partied and hung out with my friends and stayed up really late chatting about things that I'm really passionate about. Except that I never went outside my house and there was no bar or club involved and all my friends are actually my students. Um, So I don't know if that sounds really cool or really sad. He said he made sure he had a nap in the afternoon before his late night online class. Well, late night for him, normal time for his students back in San Fran. And it seems like he had lots of caffeine. I I had a great night. Um, And there is this sense of excitement at the thought that if I just stay up 45 more minutes, I'll see the sunrise. And I can't remember the last time I, I, I mean, I honestly cannot remember the last time I saw the sunrise because I don't wake up at that time. So I think I will stay up and I will watch the sun come over the horizon and then I will go to bed. And that will have been my first day of teaching in the fall of 2020. Things are definitely different, but he said it's not all bad. The most prominent difference I can find is about the difference of my worries. At this time, one year ago, I was very concerned and worrying about a lot of technical and procedural aspects of education. Did I upload all the right PDFs to the iLearn? Did I make sure to match the grading scheme that I have in my syllabus to the grading scheme that I have listed online? Have I ordered the books on time? Do all the assignment make, assignments make sense? Are the discussion forums already uploaded and ready to go? And so the worry was about the practical dimension of education. And fast forward a year, those concerns have really taken a back seat. And now I find myself thinking a lot more about my students' lives. How is their housing situation? Do they have access to a computer? Can they claim a space as their own for two or three continuous hours to log on to my class? Uh, Do they feel comfortable turning on the video camera? And so, for example, on my first day of my graduate seminar on French philosophy, one of my students said to the class, I'm sorry, you guys, but I cannot turn on my camera because I am not in California. I am somewhere else. There is a significant time difference. And I work very, very late night shifts as a bartender. And so I am in no condition to be seen, but I'm very happy to be here. And so all those aspects of our students' material lives, their day-to-day experience, their housing situation, their work situation, the complexity of their lives are going to be both more visible in the sense that they're going to actively shape the way in which they interact with us via Zoom, but at the same time more invisible because I suspect many students won't feel quite comfortable talking about those things, with some exceptions, of course. 
And I'm thinking about back in the day when I was an undergraduate, I would have rather died than have my professors know the details of my personal life and my living conditions. I would have never told my philosophy student or I'm I'm sorry, my philosophy professor or my French professor or my biology professor that I didn't get any sleep because my roommates were partying or that there was an accident outside of my house and the sirens were blasting until three in the morning or that I don't have reliable internet at home and I rely on the university's Wi-Fi in order to connect. Those are the things that most students will keep to themselves and I cannot but think about all the things that I do not know about my students' lives that are actively shaping how they experience my courses. So from nearly 9,000 miles away, he is somehow feeling more tuned in to some of his students, but also worried about what he doesn't know about other students and what kinds of support they might need. And back at Texas State, Rachel Davenport said she is connecting with students as well. She's a biology lecturer who requested to teach her large class online, even though the campus is back open. She's taught online before, though, and she's even won an award for it. I just finished my first Zoom class of the semester. I had 200 students all logging in. Um, I think it went really well, as well as it could have. It wasn't as fun as it would have been face-to-face. But um, students actually came in just really savvy already, um, knowing to mute, knowing to raise their hand, um, to type into the chat. I actually, this is an interesting thing that I I didn't expect, but normally in class when there's, you know, 200 and some students um, and a student asks a question, I'm the one that, you know, has them ask the question, they raise their hand and then I answer it. What I really loved was students were helping each other in the chat. So if they had questions about like, what's the password to get into the student response system, another student would answer that for them. I didn't have to. Or where do I find the notes for chapter one? Um, And so I really kind of loved that they, in a way, they got to interact more than if they were sitting in my large lecture hall. Um, Or when I would say something they would, in the chat, they would chime in and say, yes, oh my goodness, I agree. Or when my cat uh, jumped on screen, which of course he was going to. Um, and then they all said, oh, cute, <laughs> in the chat. And so um, in a way, it was more interactive than when we're in person. So that was pretty cool. Um, and they all seem really kind of excited and, um, and raring to go. They asked really good questions. So... I am, uh, I am cautiously optimistic that this is going to be a good semester. Okay, and even Joseph, that Purdue student, is having some positive experiences. We heard about his first academic class earlier. That was a disappointment. But that wasn't his first class. Hi, this is Joseph Chang at Purdue. I just got out of my first in-person class. Uh, it was jazz band, uh, and it was conducted outside in this outdoor band show. Uh, We just kind of went over the new protocols, how everything's gonna happen. Trumpets and trombones, they're gonna have bell coverings. They're gonna wear, um, everyone's gonna wear special, 
special masks uh, that have, you know, allow for you to, you know, open to play and then close it uh, after uh, when you're waiting. And saxophones have also some kind of like bag covering to just limit the, the aerosol spray and oh, on addition, brass instruments typically they empty their spit valves on the floor well that doesn't seem very sanitary right now um, so they have these disposable uh, absorbent pads in which uh, you basically just dump your spit on those instead and then dump them after so we're kind of we're having all of our uh, performances being streamed virtually so that's something that is just very difficult to do online um, i asked about you know if we go online what's going to happen and uh, to be determined So all these teachers are trying to plan their classes, trying to connect with students through this weirdness. And all these students are trying to adapt, trying to make it work. And then, every once in a while, they're reminded acutely of why everything is so different this fall. Like when Sabina Brunswicker, a professor of digital innovation at Purdue, got an email from the dean of students. Uh, one of the students in my class um, has to isolate. They don't tell you exactly the reasons why, um, they don't tell you whether the student has COVID-19 or whether they are currently waiting for being tested or other reasons why they're isolated. But for sure, I have to admit that um, this email uh, um, grabbed my attention. So what do you do when you get a note saying a student who was in your class earlier in the week is now being asked to isolate or quarantine? Should you worry about your health? Is there something you should do for the student? I decided um, to reach out to a wire the online system uh, that allows direct communication in a center node and said, um, I just got the current uh, isolation notification and she can certainly attend the class uh, using the uh, um, online system and the live uh, session in parallel and um, gave her the details. And she should let me know if there's anything else she would need uh, because I'm here to help. And she um, responded immediately and said, uh, you know, she is very happy that I wrote her. And, and I, can, I could feel that she was, um, she was also a bit worried um, about her situation. Um, I guess I will experience it more often. I have to get used to that. And just in my mind, um, assume that, um, all, you know, that I'm doing the right thing by... Um, making sure that in my class, uh, everybody is wearing face masks, that everybody is maintaining social distance. And I will also, um, you know, emphasize that again, um, before I come to class, we'll send them a, another notification just to make sure. Some of the strangeness on campuses that have reopened is this background noise of fear. It's clearly stressful. So it was a bit of a bumpy first week for students and faculty on campuses around the country. Some positives, some negatives, some strangeness, some scariness, and some surprising connections. Purdue's president, Mitch Daniels, 
sum things up in a video message to the community that he posted on YouTube. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, Mitch here, behind this mask, as I hope you are. You know, uh, we're now at the end of our second week of a busy campus, our first week of uh, full classes, and it's way too soon for conclusions. It's surely way too soon for celebrations, but it's not too soon to say thank you for the overwhelming cooperation and compliance we've seen that's really helped us get off to a good start. Daniels is the former governor of Indiana. So like any good politician, he knows how to talk without saying too much. But the clear point of the message came next, when he urged students not to do that other traditional thing that college students do. We all know the weekends are the times of the greatest risk where uh, inadvertently somebody could spread this uh, virus. So please be extra careful this weekend. Keep up the vigilance that you've shown so far. So how can you have a campus life during COVID? We'll focus on that question on the next episode of our Pandemic Campus Diaries series in two weeks. This has been the EdSurge Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe to the EdSurge Podcast wherever you listen. And tell a friend on social media or when you meet your friends at some backyard gathering. This episode was produced by me, Jeff Young. I have lots of folks to thank this week. Editing this episode was by Rob McGinley-Myers. I had other valuable input from Becky Koenig. Thanks to the students and professors who are taking the time out to send in diaries and share these experiences. Rachel Davenport, Deb Nichols, Sabina Brunswicker, David Pena-Guzman, Peter Sands, Luz Elena Anaya Chong, Joseph Ching, Marjorie Blen, Adrian Davis, Natalie Ricciardi, and Josh Friesen. You can read more about the diarists on our show page at edsurge.com. This podcast series is supported by a reporting fellowship from the Education Writers Association. Many thanks to the folks at EWA for making this possible. Music by Ruval and by Architect. Thanks, as always, to Tony Wan, Managing Editor of EdSurge. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing, and in two weeks with another episode of this series. Thanks for listening, and be well.